tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker coming right up right now.
Well, welcome to the month of April. I hope you uh, all survived uh, April Fool's Day. Officially, April Fool's Day is always over at noon on the 1st of April, but I think people uh, like to do the thing for the whole day. Anyway, I'm not fooling here. This is the jazz show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name's Gavin Walker, and we have some wonderful music to play for you until well after the witching hour of midnight. And our jazz feature this evening is rather special. It's an album that really turned me around when I first heard it. It knocked me out. And by that time, I had been listening to jazz for a long time. And uh, there was not a lot that, uh, well, there was a lot of new music that I hadn't heard that amazed me, of course. And I thought, oh, this is so great. But this was a very special album. It was called Outward Bound. And it was by a musician I had never heard of, Eric Dolphy. And, of course, I soon found out um, who Eric Dolphy was and uh, a little more about his biographical information, all this kind of stuff. But it seemed that this amazing instrumentalist who played um, flute and had the most bizarre and beautiful sound on bass clarinet and a very, very exciting concept on alto saxophone. He seemed to come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, here he is on this incredible record for um, the new jazz label, which was a subsidiary of Prestige Records. And uh, I'd never heard him. Anyway, there was um, extensive notes uh, on the album, which is really nice. Uh, that's the nice thing about albums. Uh, they had many of them had uh, really nice um, historical notes and, and notes about the musicians, and you got an idea of who everybody wa- was and where they came from and all that sort of stuff. And I found out that Eric Dolphy was born in Los Angeles, June the twentieth, nineteen twenty-eight, um, of very hardworking Caribbean immigrants. Um, and Dolphy was their only child, and they doted on Eric because he um, was a lovely young boy, of course, and they were very proud of him, and uh, he was obedient and all that kind of stuff, but he was also interested in music, and they, Eric's um, mom and dad, Sadie and Eric Dolphy Sr., um, they encouraged Eric because, um, and very soon, as a young man, he got into uh, the clarinet and started playing the clarinet and developed really, really rapidly with some great teachers. And uh, the Dolphys worked hard to to, um, to pay for Eric's lessons and, and that sort of thing. And um, as he entered his teens, he took up the alto saxophone and then added flute and bass clarinet to his arsenal. And he also although he never recorded on those instruments, he was quite um, the oboe player as well. Unfortunately, he never recorded on that. He also played the tenor and the baritone saxophone, and um, he never recorded on those horns either, ever. And as he was um, gaining 
Uh, Eric was gaining uh, notoriety around the Los Angeles area and playing gigs and so on. Um, his dad converted the family garage into a music studio for Eric to practice and rehearse. And, of course, uh, as he got to know some of the um, top players, jazz players around Los Angeles, he invited them to play in the studio. And uh, the great Max Roach and Clifford Brown were living out there. The Clifford Brown, the virtuoso trumpeter, um, Max and Clifford had formed a band and they were building their repertoire, but they had no place to rehearse. And, of course, Eric Dolphy said, my house, my, my, my studio. And uh, that's how uh, Max and Clifford built their original repertoire before they went into the recording studio. It was at the Dolphy Home Studio. And uh, very interesting. And, of course, so many other musicians played, played there, and, and Eric jammed with them and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. But he was still not known. And, but when he replaced the great Paul Horn in drummer Chico Hamilton's very popular quintet, that was Eric's first real profile, high profile gig. And uh, Eric recorded with Chico. Uh, those records are hard to find, but they're around. You can find them on Warner Brothers. Uh, Chico was recording for that. And you can hear early Eric Dolphy and what he was doing uh, in the context of the Chico Hamilton Quintet. Um, Eric traveled to New York uh, with Chico and played at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1958 and got to know some of the New York musicians. And he returned again with Chico in 1959 um, and gave his notice and decided to settle in New York. And he took up, um, shared a room uh, in New York with his newfound buddy, a young trumpet player from Indianapolis by the name of Freddie Hubbard. And Eric and Freddie shared uh, accommodation for uh, about a year or so. And it wasn't long after that that Eric found his way into the volatile environment of the Charles Mingus Jazz Workshop. Mingus had known Eric uh, and his family from Los Angeles, so he was aware of Eric's talent. And of course, um, when Eric uh, decided to stay in New York, Mingus jumped at the opportunity to bring him into his band. And of course, the rest is history. During the time, Eric's first tenure with Charles Mingus was when this jazz feature album was recorded. And interestingly enough, um, I'm not only playing it for the music, but it's kind of, it's the anniversary of this album because it was recorded on April 1st, 1960. And uh, so therefore, it's, um, the album itself is having a bit of a birthday anniversary. Of course, tragically, we all know what happened to Eric later on. Um, he was touring with Charles Mingus in 1964, and um, he decided he was going to stay in Europe and bring his fiancée over um, and marry her. Her name was Joyce Mordecai, and they were going to get married and live in Europe. And Eric had um, already fallen in love with Europe, and he was known over there. And sadly, this was never to be. 
what Eric didn't know was that he had undiagnosed diabetes. And during a concert performance, he collapsed. This was in Berlin, and he was taken to the hospital. And there's still a mystery surrounding his death. But it is of the assumption that the doctors thought, well, here's a, a, an, Ameri- an African-American jazz musician. Um, he's probably overdosed. They didn't do enough analysis on Eric. Had they administered, uh, had they realized, although he d- nobody knew that he had diabetes, but these doctors should have known, uh, sad to say. Um, anyway, they put Eric in a room, and then when they went in to try and revive him, he already had succumbed. He was in a coma already, and uh, he succumbed, and he unfortunately died. And there is the belief of many people that had the doctors been smart enough to give him insulin, Eric Dolphy may still be alive today. He was only 36 when he died. And uh, we lost an incredible musician, a very inventive musician, and someone who really changed the face of jazz. But he, Eric is still an influence today, and his adventurous um, approach on all of his instruments is, uh, has been very influential on today's jazz. Now, this is Eric's very first album, um, under his own name, and he brought in some great people, uh, including his buddy, Freddie Hubbard, on trumpet, who sounds superb here. Jackie Bayard was brand new on the scene. He was an older gentleman, um, but he uh, had just arrived in New York, and he was jamming around town, and Eric heard his uh, adventurous piano playing and said, that's the guy I want for this date. Uh, So Jackie Bayard is on piano here, and he sounds absolutely inventively wonderful. On bass is George Tucker, very strong. He was recommended uh, for this date by Charles Mingus because George Tucker was a student or had been a student um, studying with Charles Mingus, a marvelous bass player. And on drums, somebody who has played with literally everybody, Mr. Snapcrackle himself, Roy Haynes, one of the most inventive to this day most inventive drummers ever to cross this earthly planet. So that's the personnel, and we're going to hear Eric on alto saxophone, um, bass clarinet, and flute on this album, Uh, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Jackie Byard on piano, George Tucker on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. And the album was called Outward Bound. The first tune is called G.W., And I remember liking that tune. I I used to imagine, yeah, maybe it was written for me. That's my initials, GW. But it was actually written for the band leader, uh, the great Los Angeles band leader, um, Gerald Wilson. And um, Eric had done some time playing with uh, Gerald Wilson's band. And, of course, he respected Mr. Wilson and wrote this opening tune dedicated to Gerald Wilson. The second tune, Eric switches to bass clarinet, and his version of a very popular standard tune at the time that was just coming in, all the musicians were playing this tune, On Green Dolphin Street, written by Bronislaw Caper, 
and you'll hear Eric's unique version of that tune. Then we go to two Dolphy originals. Tune number three is entitled Less, and uh, that's for a gentleman named Lester Robertson, who was a trombone player and was a teacher of theory, and Eric learned a lot from Lester Robertson and uh, named the tune for him, Less. Tune number four is a, a wonderful, um, it's kind of an abstract blues piece, and it's called Two, Four, Five. And that was their um, number uh, on, uh, on the street where Freddie Hubbard and uh, Eric lived. That was the address, 245. So that's what that title is all about. Tune number six, Eric switches to flute and plays a beautiful old, very rarely played ballad from a show called On Your Toes. <laughs> Something goes back to the 30s. Anyway, it was one of the better tunes from that musical, and the tune is called Glad to Be Unhappy. And tune number six was the final tune on the original vinyl LP, um, and it's a very kind of a positive and happy-sounding original dedicated to some young lady, um, written by Eric, and it's called Miss Tony. And we're going to add one more tune that was not on the original vinyl, but it's a neat little flute piece. Um, Freddie Hubbard doesn't play on it, but it's just Eric and the rhythm section, and it's dedicated to the day that this was recorded. And the tune was called April Fool. So there you go. So that's the uh, repertoire. We open with GW, go to Green Dolphin Street, go to Less, go to 245, go to Glad to be Unhappy, go to Miss Tony, and then finally April Fool. And the album, Outward Bound, Eric Dolphy's very first album under his own name.
And that's our jazz feature this evening. The album, the debut album of Eric Dolphy, which came out on uh, originally on New Jazz Records and was recorded exactly 59 years ago today, April 1st, 1960. And we heard Eric playing on his three major instruments, the alto saxophone, the bass clarinet, and the flute. And he was accompanied and picked all the guys in the band. Uh, His roommate at the time was a young man from Indianapolis who became a major force in jazz. And I'm talking about Freddie Hubbard on trumpet. On piano, another huge force in the music, Newly arrived from Boston, uh, where he had established a very strong reputation there, Um, he had moved to New York, and uh, Eric heard him at a couple of jam sessions and asked Jackie Byard to be the pianist on the date, Jackie Byard. And on bass, recommended to Eric by Charles Mingus, was uh, a young man with a great sound on bass and wonderful concept. And he um, actually uh, took lessons for several years with Charles Mingus, George Tucker on bass, the late, great George Tucker on bass, and the surviving member of this incredible orchestra. He's in his 90s. He just celebrated a birthday not too long ago. I'm talking about Mr. Snap Crackle, Roy Haynes on drums, of course, who could adapt to any style of music and contribute to it. And uh, he does that to this very day. Amazing, amazing musician, Roy Haynes. Eric picked some uh, great tunes. He wrote four of the six tunes, um, actually five of the six tunes on this album. And uh, the final one was not uh, that we just heard uh, with uh, Eric on flute uh, playing sort of an abstract blues. Uh, was not included in the original CD or or the original vinyl issue. Um, But that was called April Fool, (laughs) dedicated to the the day of the recording, of course. Anyway, the first track, the opener with uh, Eric's startling solo on that, was entitled GW, and the GW stood for Gerald Wilson, the great uh, Los Angeles band leader who Eric worked with and respected and uh, thought of him as one of his teachers. So he dedicated the first tune to Gerald Wilson, G.W. Then we move to the um, standard tune, which was then pretty new on the jazz scene. Everybody was playing it by that time, and Eric put his own touch on Green Dolphin Street and played the bass clarinet on that tune. Uh, Tune number three was an adventurous... um, Dolphy composition dedicated to Lester Robertson, um, a trombone player and music teacher in Los Angeles who taught Eric theory and all kinds of stuff about music and life. And so he dedicated that tune and called it simply Less. And tune number four was a wonderful abstract blues written by Eric called 245. And, of course, that was the address that uh, Eric and Freddie Hubbard lived uh, when they roomed together at that time in New York City. 
Tune number five was an obscure ballad from a musical of the 30s. And um, the tune was played on Eric's flute uh, beautifully, and it was called Glad to be Unhappy. The tune following that was um, kind of a happy-go-lucky, up-tempo piece of music dedicated to uh, a young lady of Eric's acquaintance at the time, and it was called Miss Tony, and that featured everyone in the band and Eric on bass clarinet. And then, of course, I mentioned the the final tune, which was not on the uh, CD or vinyl issues of this album, uh, was that um, little blues, uh, Eric on flute with the rhythm section, and it was called April Fool. So that was the selection. Once again, Eric Dolphy on alto saxophone, bass clarinet, and flute. Eric Dolphy was like a comet that... uh, pervaded the jazz scene in the early 60s from about 1960 to 1964. His untimely death at 36 was a huge, huge shock to the jazz community. And uh, no one has ever really replaced or ever will replace Eric Dolphy. Eric was with his uh, buddy and partner at the time, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Jackie Byard on piano, George Tucker on bass, and Roy Haynes on drums. And that album, a classic called Outward Bound. So I hope you enjoyed the jazz feature this evening. And uh, just to remind you that you're listening to CITR FM 101.9 or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. This is The Jazz Show, and my name's Gavin Walker, and we'll be right back after these uh, important messages. Uh, We are so happy because Fun Drive 2019 is officially over. What a great feeling. To everyone who donated their time, their energy, and their money, the people who forgot to donate now but will online at citr.ca slash donate, those who couldn't donate this year but will next year, and to our community as a whole. CITR and Discorder just want to say... don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass rent evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. This is all about the weather. And, of course, today was absolutely gorgeous. Yes. And tomorrow, we're going to have more of the same, although 
later on in the day, we're going to see some clouds creeping in. But uh, tonight is clear, of course, uh, with a low of 5. And tomorrow, sunny. Um, and then later on, as I said, with a mix of sun and cloud. Later on in the day, indicating a change in the weather. But it's going to be nice uh, tomorrow as well, um, with temperatures down to 5 and highs up to, well, between 17 and 22. That's really nice. And then, well, quite a downturn for the rest of the week, unfortunately. It looks pretty wet, (laughs) sad to say. Wednesday is rain, Thursday is periods of rain, Friday is rain, Saturday is rain, and Sunday is rain. That's about it for the rest of the week. We're really into, we actually need the rain. Um, March apparently has been the dry, one of the driest months on record, so we can use some water here, and uh, we're going to need some. So we're going to get it this week, and the temperatures will vary between um, 7 and 9, in the evening and go up to between uh, 11 to 14 during the day. But Wednesday right through Sunday, they're just calling for rain. Hmm, rain, rain, rain. Well, it's an old familiar friend here in Vancouver. And so, um, and we actually need it, as I said. So that's it. And, ah, rain. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. We have coming up, John Coltrane. Coltrane, this is early John Coltrane. I've always had an affection for this period of Coltrane's development. Um, When these records came out, most of the critics were um, really down on, on John Coltrane. They didn't understand what he was attempting to do um, they were making remarks with, with uh, um, oh, saxophone player with an incredibly unpleasant sound, um, derivative concept. Um, yeah, they, you know, the critics were saying, well, I can hear the Dexter Gordon influence in his playing, but he really, uh, he's not up to much, uh, blah, blah, blah. All this kind of stuff about early Coltrane's playing. Um, not everybody, though. And I was one of them. I loved his early playing, and I still do. And that's why I'm going to play three tunes from a a very special session that was recorded um, in Hollywood. Uh, Miles Davis and the quintet uh, were visiting, uh, making their first appearance on the West Coast in early 1956. And, of course, John Coltrane was part of the band, as well as Paul Chambers and drummer, bassist Paul Chambers and drummer Philly Joe Jones. And uh, Paul Chambers got an opportunity to record for an independent label, 
And so he chose, of course, people that he was familiar with. Um, he chose John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, himself, of course, uh, as leader, and Philly Joe Jones on drums, and was a piano player from New York City who was, had been living in Los Angeles and performing there that everybody knew. And uh, so he asked Kenny Drew to, uh, to play on this date. So that's the personnel, and we're going to hear three tunes from this date. It came out as um, the title of the album was A Jazz Delegation from the East was the original title uh, of the album, which came out on a fairly obscure label and um, led by bassist Paul Chambers. All of this was recorded on March the 2nd, 1956, in Hollywood. So uh, the first piece of music is called Trains Blues. Um, It also has some different titles. It's also known as John Paul Jones. Anyway, John Coltrane takes the composer credit on this tune, obviously. And the second tune is a, Dexter, is a Charlie Parker original called Dexterity. And the third tune is a tune that uh, Coltrane was playing with Miles Davis's band. It was part of the Davis repertoire at the time, tuned by Benny Golson, and it's called Stablemates. So here then, Paul Chambers, the leader on bass, Kenny Drew on piano, Philly Joe Jones on drums, and John Coltrane on tenor saxophone.
We heard three selections from an album that uh, initially came out on the Jazz West label, kind of uh, obscure, small label from uh, Los Angeles, way back um, in the uh, mid-50s. And that featured, it was called a Jazz Delegation from the East, and it featured John Coltrane, early John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, with uh, Kenny Drew on piano, Philly Joe Jones on drums, and led by bassist Paul Chambers, because it was issued under Paul's name. And it was recorded in Hollywood March the 2nd, 1956. And, of course, um, Coltrane, Jones, and um, Chambers were all part of uh, the Miles Davis Quintet, which was making uh, its first um, appearance on the West Coast. And um, none of the people in, the, in this particular band were particularly well-known, but they were uh, uh, brought into the studio because they were members, really, of uh, Miles Davis's group. And on piano, Kenny Drew. He was the one ringer here because Kenny Drew was originally from New York, but at the time he'd been living in Los Angeles for a few years and joined the quartet. So we heard three tunes. The first uh, tune was Blues, written by John Coltrane, and um, or at least attributed by John Coltrane. It's one of those tunes that had, uh, who knows who, who wrote it, because it was one of those riffs that a lot of people were playing. Anyway, it's called Trains Blues. And uh, the second tune was definitely written by Charlie Parker, and it was called Dexterity. And the third tune was Benny Golson's wonderful uh, complex tune of, uh, for the time, um, Stablemates. And uh, that was a regular um, tune that was played in Miles Davis's band at the time as well. And, of course, it became, uh, it really put Benny Golson on the map as a composer and uh, that because that tune became a jazz standard. Trains, Blues, Dexterity, and Stablemates from this uh, early uh, recording session done in March of 1956 in Hollywood, California. After uh, this short break for a couple of messages, we're going to come back with some music by a bit of a change of pace and a, a change in musical style as well. We're going to bring in the late and wonderful Canadian-born trumpeter Kenny Wheeler playing with his uh, favorite quartet on uh, some really beautiful stuff. So stay tuned for that, and we'll be right back. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we'll return in a moment. The Crane Library is looking for student volunteers to record textbooks for those who cannot use print at the university. If you are a UBC student who is computer literate with an ability to read university material aloud and you have a willingness to learn new techniques, we ask for a two-hour commitment once a week. For additional information and to set up an edition, call 604-822-6114 or email crane.volunteer at ubc.ca. Um, excuse me. 
Excuse me. Hi, I was wondering how I maybe might potentially get to be on the radio. Oh, word. Yeah, you can do that at CITR and Discorder. I'm sorry? You can cover events and issues in the city and interview people, or you could join a collective and work with people with similar interests to make a show collaboratively, maybe make a few friends. Oh, wow, that sounds superb. Totally. Just email volunteer at citr.ca and they can help you get started or just come into the station whenever. Oh, I definitely will. Thank you so much. You're listening to CITR 101.9 broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Trumpeter-composer Kenny Wheeler was actually born in uh, Toronto, and you know, uh, he he worked uh, and and learned his music there, and of course he saw the impossibility of of emigrating to the United States for broader horizons, uh, unless you're affiliated with a, a name band, um, and they have lawyers and and stuff like that. If you're an independent musician, uh, f- freelance musician. Uh, it's not likely you're you're going to get um, admission uh, to the United States in terms of uh, you know getting a work permit and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's pretty tough. So Kenny decided to head for England, and of course that was perfect because um, Kenny's parentage was was uh, was British. Um, as I said, he was born in Toronto, but he headed, he headed for Britain. And, of course, when he arrived there, uh, there was an incredible jazz scene, music scene going on in London, and, and Kenny became a big part of that. And um, from there, he became uh, an international, uh, internationally respected trumpeter and, of course, um, and composer as well. And uh, Kenny always... Um, really had a very, very strong affection for his uh, long stay in in Britain. I wonder how Kenny would think about <laughs> Brexit right now. What a mess over there. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other deal. This is from an album called All the More, and it was recorded in Milan, Italy, um, in 1993. And Kenny was uh, healthy and robust at the time, and we hear him on trumpet and flugelhorn with his main man on piano, the wonderful genius of the piano, John Taylor. On bass, Furio de Castri. On acoustic bass, and the wonderful Joe LaBarbera on drums. And we're going to hear a few tunes uh, from this album called All the More. We're going to open with uh, a Kenny Wheeler composition called Mark Time and segue to a composition called Introduction to No Particular Song. That's a very Kenny Wheeler-ish title. And the final tune we're going to hear is The Imminent Immigrant, all compositions by Kenny Wheeler and played by the Stellar Quartet. 
Once again, Kenny Wheeler on trumpet and flugelhorn, John Taylor on piano, Furio Ducastri on acoustic bass, and Jola Barbara on drums.
We heard some extended music by the late, great Canadian-born trumpeter Kenny Wheeler, who was featured on trumpet and flugelhorn, along with John Taylor on piano, his, uh, his main man, Furio di Castri on bass, and Joe LaBarbera on drums. And all of that was recorded in Milan, in Italy, in uh, October 1993. And we heard three Kenny Wheeler compositions. The album is called All the More, and it came out on the Soul Note label. And we heard three marvelous compositions and performances by Kenny Wheeler and his ensemble. Um, the first tune was called Mark Time, the second tune was very Wheelerish uh, title on this one, Introduction to No Particular Song. And the final tune was entitled The Imminent Immigrant, Kenny Wheeler. Marvelous musician. No one else sounds like Kenny. And, of course, his compositions are always kind of fascinating excursions into uh, uh, wonderful melodies and phrases and all that sort of stuff. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, interlude with, uh, with Kenny Wheeler. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. And, of course, on your uh, computer, live streaming, CITR.ca. And um, I always mention a couple of websites. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, the people that bring you the big jazz festival. Yes, and... Uh, There'll be some announcements pretty soon as to um, who is coming to the Jazz Festival. Some, uh, probably some surprises and some people that uh, maybe not so surprising. Anyway, um, it's always a great program and they work very, very hard. Coastal Jazz and Blues, all the people down there work very hard at putting together an incredible festival every summer and one of the most popular events here in Vancouver. That's the International Vancouver International Jazz Festival. They also, Coastal Jazz and Blues, is also one of the big sponsors of Frankie's Jazz Club down on Beatty Street. And, of course, some of our finest musicians from here, there, and everywhere play at Frankie's. And... It's booked by the redoubtable Corey Weeds. Corey, who, of course, for many years owned the legendary cellar out on West Broadway, Corey's uh, Jazz Cellar. And, um, of course, Corey is still extremely active playing and producing. Um, he's a man of many hats and, of course, uh, programs the music at Frankie's. So, with that website, coastal ja- the uh, Coastal Jazz and Blues website, which is coastaljazz.ca, you can check out some of the events that Coastal Jazz produces throughout the year, besides the Jazz Festival, and also the schedule at Frankie's, and find out who you would like to hear, and you can book a table, and do all that kind of stuff down there on that website. So that's coastaljazz.ca. The other fine website is the website of uh, VancouverJazz.com. That's an extremely interesting website with all kinds of links 
on there, and my good friend Brian Nation keeps it up to date. And that's a very good one to peruse and spend some time on, VancouverJazz.com. So two of them, CoastalJazz.ca, VancouverJazz.com. We're going to return to some music. This time, lots of saxophone. Mucho saxophone on here. Mucho tenor saxophone. This is a legendary concert recording that took place at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, February the 2nd, 1952. And it features two of the all-star greatest tenor saxophonists of their day, the late, great Wardell Gray, who left us in 1955, sad to say, and Dexter Gordon. Now, Dexter had—the um, 50s weren't too kind to Dexter. He had, um, for a variety of reasons, uh, mostly drug-related, he spent most of, his 50, most of the 50s um, incarcerated. And— Sad to say, um, he wasn't very active <laughs> during that time, although he continued to play uh, during his uh, incarceration, but uh, not publicly, shall we say. Um, Dexter, of course, uh, finally emerged in the late 50s, clean, sober, and carried on his wonderful career for many, many, many years. But um, oh, he was a young man at the time and given to some of the... Uh, uh, temptations of the day and uh, fell afoul of the, of the law and so on and so forth. But anyway, um, getting back to this recording, Dexter Gordon and Wardell Gray uh, were kind of a team. They had made a, a single or a bunch of records together, and one of them was called The Chase. And uh, basically that was a saxophone battle between the two. Now, they're backed up here by Bobby Tucker on piano, Don Bagley on bass, who went on to play in uh, various symphony orchestras, great bass player, and Chico Hamilton on drums. And, of course, Wardell and Dexter on tenor saxophones. Now, the way to tell Dexter's playing is that he's a little bit of a showboater uh, on, on this, and uh, he knows what appeals to the crowd, and uh, he does. Um, honks and squeals and all that kind of stuff, but very musical. Wardell Gray doesn't indulge in any of that um, at all during this uh, performance, um, and it's it's um, a nice contrast to uh, to Dexter's more outgoing approach. So that's how you can tell them apart, and we're going to go back to that concert hall, Pasadena Civic Auditorium. Yeah. February 2nd, 1952. Wardell Gray and Dexter Gordon together. This is The Chase.
Recorded at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, February 2nd, 1952, two great exponents of the tenor saxophone, uh, letting everything go and doing their thing on the chase. Dexter Gordon, who led off uh, the solos, and Wardell Gray, both uh, marvelous players that are no longer with us. But uh, they were having a lot of fun on this uh, particular date. Backed up by Bobby Tucker on piano, Don Bagley on bass, and Chico Hamilton on drums. And, of course, uh, the crowd um, being uh, very enthusiastic, especially uh, when uh, Dexter does uh, a little bit of showboating and honking and uh, playing high notes and all that kind of stuff. They love that stuff. They eat it up. So... um, Wardell Gray never indulged in that particular thing. He was always remained very, very musical, and uh, he was. Uh, they these guys were great friends as well, and they admired uh, each other's playing. So they did this uh, tag team thing over the years. Dexter Gordon and Wardell Gray. Yes, and the uh, that piece of music was called appropriately enough, um, the Chase. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play you another marvelous piece of music. This is some very different music now. By trumpeter Don Cherry, who's one of the innovators. I'm not talking about the other Don Cherry. We don't care about him. We care about this guy, though. Don Cherry, um, of course, worked with Ornette Coleman for many years, and uh, Don has his, um, own, had his own concept and his own way of playing trumpet. He was hi- highly regarded by a lot of trumpet players, even though he um, never really acquired the chops of someone like Dizzy Gillespie or Lee Morgan. But people like Miles Davis really dug Don Cherry because he was a very original player, and he didn't rely on uh, hot licks and, and stuff. He really played very original music. And we're going to hear some original music by Don Cherry from this marvelous album called Complete Communion. And it features Don Cherry on 
um, cornet, which is, of course, a smaller, sharper-sounding trumpet, and Gato Barbieri on tenor saxophone from Argentina, and uh, Leandro was his uh, given name, but he was known as Gato. Gato Barbieri, and of course he became famous uh, for doing a soundtrack to uh, a movie, uh, The Last Tango in Paris. A lot of you people have probably seen that movie and uh, heard the uh, the sensuous soundtrack that was done, and that put uh, really put Gato Barbieri on the map. Very distinctive tenor saxophonist. Anyway, he's here with Don Cherry. Henry Grimes is the bassist. And Eddie Blackwell is on drums. And this is a composition by Don Cherry. It's actually the title track of this uh, Blue Note album. It's called Complete Communion. And it's in four parts. Uh, Part A is Complete Communion. Part B is entitled And Now. Part C is entitled Golden Heart. And Part D is Remembrance. So here then... Don Cherry, Gato Barbieri, and company. Complete communion.
That was a suite of music composed by the amazing Don Cherry, who played the uh, cornet, and his partner on the front line was none other than Gato Barbieri, Argentinian-born tenor saxophone virtuoso, and Henry Grimes on bass, and Ed Blackwell on drums. And that was the Complete Communion Suite, written by Don Cherry and improvised by the whole band, the quartet. 
And uh, it was in four parts, Complete Communion, Part B is, was entitled And Now, Part C, Golden Heart, and Part D, Remembrance, Complete Communion. All recorded Christmas Eve, 1965, mm-hmm. in uh, at Rudy Van Gelder's studio and issued on Blue Note Records, Complete Communion. Hope you enjoyed that. A uh, lengthy piece of music, um, thoroughly engaging, and of course, incredible playing by all members of that quartet. We're going to switch a little bit of organ jazz right now with uh, Sonny Stitt, one of the great saxophone players of all times, whether he's playing alto, tenor, whatever saxophone he chooses. Sonny Stitt was a a true master, and and in this day and age, Sonny's a little bit overlooked. Um, everything he he does was is just so easy. Uh, he plays the saxophone um, as easy as you and I breathe. <laughs> Sonny Stitt. Here he is with Charles Kennard on the Hammond organ, Ray Crawford on guitar, and Doug Sides on drums. And uh, this was recorded in Los Angeles because. Um, Kennard, Crawford, and Sides were all uh, Los Angeles-based musicians at the time. And um, Stitt flew in and did a gig and a recording session with these guys in May of 1963. We're going to hear a couple of tunes. The first one is called Stitt in Time, and then a standard tune called Blue Skies. And we're going to follow that with... um, an arrangement of Sonny Stitts of an old tune called My Mother's Eyes. And then we're going to hear the S.O.P. Blues. So four tunes. Sonny Stitt with Charles Kennard on the Hammond organ, Ray Crawford on guitar, and Doug Sides on drums. Thank you. 
Thank you.
that was some music by the great Sonny Stitt on mostly tenor saxophone. He did pick up the alto on, uh, on one of the pieces. And he was backed up by a Los Angeles trio made up of Charles Kennard on the Hammond organ, Ray Crawford on guitar, and Doug Sides on drums. And that was uh, recorded in L.A. in May of 1963. It's from an album called My Mother's Eyes, and we heard the title track there. Um, the first tune we heard was called Stit in Time. The second tune was an old standard tune written by Irving Berlin called Blue Skies. And then the title track, My Mother's Eyes. And then the final tune was a Sonny Stitt original called S.O.P. Blues. That's a good way to end the show this evening. Our April 1st, well, it's now the second edition of The Jazz Show. And if you were here for part of it, great. If you were here for all of it, wonderful. And if, um, whenever, (laughs) we appreciate it. I'd like to thank you very much for uh, being out there this evening on behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, and radio station CITR FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we shall return in seven days' time for another edition of The Jazz Show. We start at 9 p.m. and carry on until well after midnight. Anyway, enjoy the nice day tomorrow. It could be the last one for a while because I think we're going to get some rain. Take care. Bye-bye for now. Thank you.